Hi, welcome back. Two days in a row. Boy, I sure do need practice. Um, I guess I just can't get enough of this stuff. <laughs> I think as uh, Meghan Markle said, this is fun. So much fun. It's fun to just be able to talk and vent. And back in the day, you just couldn't uh, have something like this. They certainly would not have aired you on the TV and stuff. So uh, let's just dive back in. We're going to have Rick um, and everybody else uh, on soon. So just uh, either delete this episode or just stay tuned, but better stuff ahead. So we're going to see where this episode goes. I have written down a few notes of some things I want to talk about. It's really hard for me to listen to my own podcasts. I've really like never listened to them. I don't want to listen to them. They I, Reasons for that, but... Um, I want to engage with you guys, with the audience. I want to do that ideally on this platform here. Um, I want to very calmly have conversations with you guys about where I'm wrong, where we're wrong, um, where we're, we're right, because magic happens when two, three, 10 people sit in a room together or on a podcast and just you know, brains, it's magic. It's knowledge between two people just can figure things out way more than me just sitting here. So anyway, super nice. Don't have to do the video right this second. Um, that's, uh, I can just kind of look around and, um, all right. So let's have some fun. Cross that one out. So I just want to calmly get to the bottom as best as anybody has before as to what is going on in this world. Why are we here? I think that is such a um, desire for everybody in the world, human, non-human, figure out what is going on. Why are we, forget this normalcy bias that, oh, it's just normal. It's just, this is just normal. Um, okay, so when I said that, you know, it might be difficult for me to read comments by people, it's because I've seen how nasty uh, the public can be. It's very, very nasty. Um, and I'm very sensitive. So the thinking with what Joe Rogan does is, you know, you don't listen to every person that's got a negative, you know, it doesn't help anything. So I will have somebody that'll help me sift through comments and, you know, relay good stuff. And, but just being sensitive, I want to do this on the air in a non-reactive format. We're going to have the world's best experts on this show in all different fields. Uh, and we're going to have you guys on here um, whenever you want. And, and if you think that you're right on something and the world just thinks you're absolutely crazy, well, you might be on this podcast um, because maybe you're right. And it's interesting from a psychology perspective that you think you're right on something when you're wrong. Uh, or you push that you're right when everybody tells you that you're wrong and you're right. And so that's a space that we're in right now um, on a front that I want to start talking about something else first. So first thing to talk about is I started getting into ancient seafaring and that's what gets me excited. So you have to look at where were the water levels 1200 BC with the Phoenicians, the Egyptians, before that, the Minoans. You have to look at the water levels. The Indians out of Mahinjadaro, India, 
where were the water levels? You cannot look at the water levels now and assess 5,000 years ago where seafaring cultures were harboring, where their docks were. So you figure out the water levels, folks, and you can figure out where the docks were. It's called the high water level or low water levels, but really we're dealing with high water levels in parts of the United States. So, um, You then have, you have ancient India, you have the ancient Sumerians, you have the ancient Minoans, who are seem to be some of the oldest seafarers. Now that doesn't factor in, you know, a lot of other possible, you know, um, DNA species of close to us, and you know, Cro-Magnon, whether that's that or or. Uh, you know, whatever. The point is, is from a historical perspective, you're dealing with who were the ancient seafarers. The Indians had a Mohenjo-Daro, but before that, the Minoans. And so that seems to be, that seems to be the big secret, or the Minoans. So the islands off of Greece, uh, Crete, and all the other islands around it, uh, just a few days ago, a report said that there's a 120,000-year-old tool or tools that were found. Uh, this is not new to me. This has been discussed within our circles that the Minoan culture goes back to, I had certainly heard 50,000 years ago, but um, I had heard over 100,000 years. So why don't we know about this stuff? So these were trade routes. Coming to the Americas was the rich, the rich, the rich, the rich. You came here, you got copper out of Lake Superior. The estimates are a half a billion tons of copper, very rough estimate. That is our uh, smoking gun, is the Lake Superior copper that was extracted during the Bronze Age. So, you know, 2300 BC, before that, all the way up until when the volcano Thera erupted, uh, I believe Santorini Island, about 1650 BC, and then that wiped out the Minoans. Then the Mycenaeans of Greece came, you know, and basically um, took over. But before that, and after that, because the Phoenicians took over for the Minoans, and then Hebrews did partnerships, joint ventures, it seems, with. Uh, or they did with the Phoenicians. Um, and so you, you went, you got the copper, you took it down the Mississippi, you came back, you fueled the Bronze Age in Europe and the Mediterranean, and you didn't talk about your trade routes, your secrets, what made you a billionaire of the time. You didn't talk how easy it was to go that direction. And, you know, you spend all year and then you're finally back with just boatload of the purest copper that's found in the world is in Lake Superior, the Keweenaw Peninsula, you know, right at the border of Canada, which is right where Benjamin Franklin put that northern borderline, um, you know, to ensure that Lake Superior was on the U.S. side and then just few steps away is the Canadian side. So uh, they did a lot of mining there in the 1800s and 
you know, uh, Indians did mining there. Um, but what they found was that those mines had been worked prior to their work. So they basically started by, they would go to where these ancient pits were, where the copper had already been removed, and then they would do their machines and power down there. So, you know, that's the main thing is that I believe the Algonquin Flint mine, you know, a lot of these, uh, the names are out there, but the ancients dug a pit, they popped the copper out, put it on their boat, took it down the Mississippi and off to the Mediterranean uh, or Europe and Europe. And then fast forward a few thousand years later and the modern miners, uh, they went on top of those mines because they were already, you know, some of these coppers, uh, uh, you know, you're talking like half a mile long chunk of copper, like, forgive me if that's incorrect. I, as I can see, my knowledge needs to be, uh, which it will brought up to speed. So um, I'm going to a conference, the Ancient Artifact Preservation Society, AAPSF, uh, founded by Fred Reedholm, the mayor of Marquette. That is the best global conference for ancient water levels and ancient sea travel coming to the Americas. Uh, not too many people go every year, 100 people type thing, sometimes more, uh, sometimes less, but about that, mostly gray-haired people. And that is the conference, AAPS, Ancient Artifact Preservation Society out of Marquette, Michigan. Um, it's the best. And we all feel we have a secret. We all know we have a secret that we try to share with people that uh, receives a lot of criticism. See, when you're dealing with topics like this, it's so easy to be branded, as I've said, a racist, as a, as a white supremacist, as because you say that, let's just say Europeans were here mining copper before the Indians. I have heard of people get so mad that I am or other people trying to diminish the Native Americans' accomplishments because I say that the Minoans were here. How absurd is that? We are dealing with the Africans here. We are dealing with the Chinese here. We are dealing with, you name it. You name the culture and there is a really good chance that they were here in America before Columbus. Now, Columbus was the worst. This is like the worst human being. Now, that's what I've been led to believe. Maybe that's just the big smoke screen and, and that didn't happen. I mean, so many of these people die and then all of a sudden the narrative is suicide or he was depressed or he was a liar or racist. I mean, you can structure the narrative to make me, you know, if I died, you could make me look suicidal, that he had so much anxiety that he just, you know, his heart exploded. I mean, you can make up anything after the person's dead. So I don't know if Columbus was a horrible person. What I hear is that he chopped off the hands of the Indians that didn't bring him, uh, you know, enough gold that would fill both hands every week. So if he didn't bring him two hands worth of gold, then you lose your hands. I mean, if that's true, then well, who am I to say what I would have done if I was in his shoes? And who is anybody to say? Certainly the phrase is, 
I need to walk in the person's moccasins before I judge him or her. And it's so easy to just cancel people. Thomas Jefferson High School or Middle School just canceled. Uh, fine, like people can do whatever they want, right? The boards of schools, whatever. But it's so difficult. What would I have done if I was the Pope at the time? Would I have issued the papal doctrine that said Indians were savages and you can legally take their land, you know, when that was issued in the 10, 11 hundreds? Um, I don't know what I would have done to stay in power to, you know, I just don't know what I would do in similar situations. And so I think that sounds smart. I think a lot of people could relate to that, but somehow we judge what people did in the past. And so anyway, Columbus seems like a really bad guy. Um, certainly that doesn't make me anti-Italian. Um, my Italian friends know, my main very close friend knows, uh, love the Italian people. Um, but Anyway, we're dealing with Africans, Chinese, Minoans, Phoenicians, Hebrews, Egyptians, Japanese, Korean, you know, Siberian, Russian, um, Nadine, certainly Viking. It took her 30 years at Leonx Meadows to finally have academia agree with that site being real then took another 20 years for them to admit the Vikings came here, you know, just uh, we're dealing with so many groups before and after the Vikings, the Knights Templar, the British, the Welsh, um, Joseph of Arimathea being Jesus's great uncle, great, great uncle. Uh, he was the Bill Gates of the time. He controlled those sea routes of the bronze, copper, uh, tin trade. So he was a tin trade billionaire of the time, like Bill Gates today. And Bill Gates, per my understanding, is an awful human being, one of the worst on the planet. Just saw yesterday, he, Klaus Schwab, and the third person who I forgot, that they preach on global overpopulation but then they say, you know, you need to take this vaccine. It's, you can't believe these people. They, Bill Gates's, you know, parents were in eugenics. Um, supposedly he follows in that footsteps. Uh, Robert Kennedy Jr.'s thousand page book or whatever clearly outlines the Bill Gates-Fauci relationship and it's beyond scary. Um, these people should probably be executed. So what does that make me? Um, <laughs> certainly I'm not in a position to, uh, to do something like that, but in a court of law, if you presented the facts, Fauci and Gates, uh, they would be executed. I mean, like hardcore and quickly. So who knows? So more and more the Scottish, um, you have Prince Henry Sinclair coming over here, supposedly building the Newport tower. Uh, in Rhode Island with a major alignment to Venus and summer solstice and winter solstice. And uh, you have uh, Prince Matic from England. Uh, great story there. Got to be careful on the King Arthur myths and dealing with that whole story. King Arthur myths supposedly coming here. Um, 
I have hundreds of books about all this stuff, hundreds, thousands, thousands of books on this. And people have devoted their lives and written all about this. And they don't give publishing agreements. They got to print the books themselves. They then sell a few thousand copies and then they die and it's forgotten. And so it's counting on me. People are counting on me that have spent a lifetime doing work uh, to continue the legacy. And I'm, I couldn't be having more fun doing it. And I couldn't be prouder in their footsteps. These are the smart ones. Somehow I'm able to retain a lot of this in my brain. Um, in order to find these stories, I just have to walk around where all the books are. And I'm like, oh yeah, there, there's, and I write it down and let's talk about it. So that's just the beginning of the countries, uh, the Hildesheimers, uh, Germany. Um, I just, I'm going to stop there because you, you name it. They came to America and they, not all of them, but you name it. And they protected their trade routes because you don't tell people how easy it was to sail to America. So the west coast of Mali, uh, Africa, you barely or don't have to paddle to get to the Caribbeans, to South America on the east side. You just get in your reed boat. I have several books on people that proven that that can be done, proven Thor Heyerdahl, that the Polynesians came to, you know, uh, West Coast, they were Polynesians, thou, thou, Thousand Islands they had navigated. Certainly, they were very easy to navigate the uh, West Coast. Uh, the Tomol, T-O-M-O-L, boat of the Chumash certainly is a Polynesian design in the rivets and the tar. The, the tar was extracted in the Carpinteria, California area, seeps right out of the ground. It's just a Polynesian boat that the Chumash use. Um, the island, uh, the islands that are outside of Santa Barbara, you know, got to look at the ancient water levels. So that was all connected to land way long ago. But in between that, you had times where boats just very simply drifted out there. It's a few thousand yards. No big deal. Just, I don't know why they're so against ancient seafaring and the ancients being dumb, it's crystal clear why, but the boats, that's like the thing that is so simple. So rather than the Bering Strait, where it's the first time in history, supposedly, that people had just walked through the ice to get to a land that they don't even know is there. <laughs> How about they took little boats along the shore and were hunting seal and you know kelp, the kelp highway it's certainly worthy of consideration that they didn't need to just aimlessly be walking into dead ass ice. It's just ridiculous. So I'm gonna sip my coffee. So obviously the first Americans were not through the Bering Strait. Archeologists clung to that for as many decades as that they could, this 12,000 BC number. Now evidence is pointing to multiple migrations from all over the world into the Americas prior to Columbus. That's it, DNA, everyone's gonna know that. Now that may be 10, 20 years from now, if we're still around as a planet. I've been told that by 2027, I mean, just things are gonna be so much different than now. I, I guess there was a report yesterday that we need to be ready to fight China by 2027 is what our Navy's saying. It's like, I don't even know what that means, but 
um, it's going to be a different world. So if we're talking 10, 20, 30 years, who the hell knows? But the point is, is that DNA evidence right now is proving multiple migrations from all around the world into the Americas prior to Columbus. Now, does that make me anti-Italian, anti-Viking? No, I'm just trying to get to the bottom of what's going on. And I love the past and I'm trying to figure it out. So let's see. All right, I'm going to take a five second break. Well, I'd say that was a minute, actually. I crossed out a bunch of stuff and uh, we'll just see what else we can talk about. So ancient water levels, we're going to dig into that so much further going forward. Uh, that is the key to this part. Um, so you have, you know, you have somebody like, David Icke, who talks about reptilians basically permeating our society and some of these heads of families and heads of government or reptilian. Who knows if that's right? Let's assume it's wrong or right. Who knows? The point is, is that I saw, you know, these people instantly label him a racist, that he's a white supremacist you know, for thinking things like that. And, um, you know, that, that this, there's so many stories of, you know, aliens interacting with humans and do they control our government? And, you know, is one out of 20 or 5% of the population actually alien, but they look just like, um, they look just like humans. I went to a Reiki person first time. And what did she say to me? <laughs> it was shocking. I, I, she said, you're an alien. You're a unicorn. The Maya people love what you're doing and are so thankful for what you're doing. I said, did you Google me? Not like there'd be anything anyway, I don't think. But like, did you Google me? I just had to. I mean, my goodness, an inquisitive person. And she said, no, I've never once done that. I, or I did it one time to a client about their mother and it basically throws off the whole reading. So she can't, would never do that. And I believe her. And But, you know, am I an alien? Um, who cares if I am? Uh, it's interesting. Let's assume that I'm not. But who knows? Um, I've amassed an incredible library of books and journals, probably one of the best in the world pertaining to ancient history, or certainly one of the best. And I plan to, you know, donate that to mankind, womankind, for whoever knows how long we live after this. But, you know, maybe that's something that an alien would do, come to Earth and try to preserve all this knowledge. I mean, I have so many thousands of journals, like thousands of old journals, archaeology journals, different states, archaeology journals, just unbelievable, uh, magazines. There's so much literature that's been written, conspiracies, uh, Skeptical Inquirer magazine, Scientific American, Smithsonian magazine. Those latter two are just, you know, part of the um, narrative. So, but you have to own them. 
you got to own them because there's stuff in all of this. So why and how people, how possibly could, let's just say journalists at the New York Times or journalists at the Washington Post or journalists at Fox News, how could they actually have, I mean, being a conspiracy to not air certain things. I mean, that, that, that has to be a main topic on people that don't know this mind. It's like, of course they're not, you know, a journalist comes to the boss, the editor and says, I want to write a story on the America's, you know, prior, or I want to write a story that the vaccine has some side effects it's it's hard for people to believe that that editor says, no, you can't do that. Or that journalist knows to not even ask the question. And so of course it's the first, you know, the second one, maybe they learned that after the first time, but that is exactly what goes on. It's, there's a narrative, there's an agenda and the people that pay their salaries, the advertisers, and you know the companies that that pay or the, or the boss that owns a company when elon musk did his twitter thing and then all of a sudden that letter got released from you know 50 or 20 or 50 of the big conglomerates mcdonald's and whoever else that said you better be careful we're not going to advertise with you because you know because free speech is going to be on your platform and we don't agree with it and we're not going to advertise, we're not going to send you a billion dollars. It's exactly what happens. If you put that the vaccine has side effects, we're not going to advertise with you. It's just money. It's just simple money. And when people are directed by the money, and you don't have a job without the money, you don't write about topics that you wanna to write about. You certainly don't investigate or explore things. So that's, it's just true. It's, as I said yesterday, the Ipsit Dipic model, which is permeates all through academia. Friend of mine, a scientist, we're, was doing research papers in North Dakota, government grants funded, and that state didn't like the conclusions the scientific conclusions of these tests. And so what did they do? They stopped funding. They pulled the grant. He didn't have work anymore. So you go, you tiptoe the lines to continue getting your grants. You'll never get grants if you do just radical, they won't give you the money. Now, if you have your own money, sure. But who has that? Who has a million dollars to fund, you know? You need to live, you need a salary. You do the topics they want you to do or you acquiesce, curtail to uh, what your superiors say. Ipsit Dipic, Henriette Mertz, the mystic symbol. So some other finds that have been found in addition to the Michigan tablets by dozens of farmers across dozens of states in the 1800s depicting first century Christian Gnostic tablets um, they seem to be real. The Mormon church wanted them. They had them for a while. Finally, uh, most of them are back in Michigan. 
you can view them. We know the people who have and do. Um, some of these finds you can't. So the Smithsonian was the main buyer of the giant bones back in the 1800s. You have hundreds of articles that were typed up in all the most famous newspapers of America. And giant bones found and they were hauled away on the train and taken to the Smithsonian. And our key at the Smithsonian was Dennis Stanford, who is now deceased. Um, very nice man. I spoke to him. Uh, he's just a wonderful guy. He was more, I don't know if the word is liberal or more progressive, more open to what do we actually have here? Um, he, even he didn't know, uh, or at least with a, a laugh and a big smile, it was, you know, we, we just don't know. And I've got all these notes of hundreds of people that I've talked to. I wrote down everything. They're all preserved. They're all hard drives. They're all saved in multiple places. Um, preserved for eternity. Maybe we only, maybe we have a nuclear bomb that hits 20 cities, but it's all right. Well, maybe, maybe this will be preserved. Um, but it's our, our knowledge, our ancient history is very important to me. It is not a lucrative niche. Uh, if you want to make money, don't go into ancient history. There's all these different podcasts and they do such a great job. I'm so impressed with all you guys. Just unbelievable. <laughs> Your brains are just amazing. Um, but specific niches, uh, specific expertises, you know, megalith marvels, um, I believe Derek Olson, you know, that's the focus. What are these megaliths? Incredible work linking the ancient technologies, these nubs. Never heard of these nubs, Derek. Unbelievable. What are those things? I mean, your work's just unbelievable. But that is one niche and that's one focus. My focus is on the whole thing. Um, so, you know, these megaliths, these monoliths up in Brittany, France, Northern France, um, Avebury, uh, Karnak. I want to figure that out before I die. What are all those monoliths? And I've heard a lot of podcasts. Graham Hancock, certainly a genius at what he does. Uh, Christopher Dunn, certainly a genius. <laughs> these are much smarter than me. All right, I'll stop saying that. But anyway, I want to figure out you have these pyramids. They seem to produce some type of an energy, whether that's harnessing it. It's harnessing it, it seems, from the earth. But then where? Does it then send an underground signal to the temples that are scattered around and somehow illuminate, um, you know, uh, you know, somehow create energy in those temples that are around it? I mean, I've heard that from these podcasts. That sounds great. Um but these standing stones, these megaliths, monoliths, now, were they just bored? Uh, okay, maybe. Um, did giants do it in a night? Maybe. But they're all aligned to certain procession. Are those things charged? It's just, we're going to tackle that. It's just, I just want to know the monoliths. I just love it. Um, Avebury, Karnak, Brittany, France, um, all over there. Dolmens. This stuff is, look up dolmens in Korea. Look up dolmens in Russia. Uh, they're the same as the dolmens on the East Coast, the same as the dolmens in England and Ireland. But something about pushing America's history way back is um, 
boy, it's you receive a massive. <laughs> and I feel I'm right. Our conference feels we're right. We've been doing it. They've been doing it 30 years. Um, there's so many thousands of books that ancient America is really the old world. And, uh, you know, it's not the new world. So um, let me just take one more second here to just take a breath. That was 25 seconds. So, you know, I was kind of told that these podcasts should be more calm. Um, I mean, I don't know if that's specific to mine, but that these people are much calmer. Obviously, I have some ADD. Uh, it does not control my life at all. I don't take anything for it. Only the extreme cases of ADD should you be taking a pill. Adderall is a major upper. What I was taking for a short while was, uh, I forgot, but you take it at nighttime and it lowers your blood pressure. So the thinking is, is that you don't need this boom upper. But problem is once kids or people start taking the upper, they like it. It's very hard to get them off of that to then do this, take a pill at night and it's a, to lower your blood pressure. Loved that idea. Anyway, I'm just very passionate. Somehow this is all in my head. Somehow I feel a lot better after doing these. I just want to get off this where it's me by myself. Uh, <laughs> I do so much better with other people. I can't even tell you, but maybe I do okay with this. But please forgive me. I, I heard Alex Jones jumps around all over the place. Um, clearly I do that as well. It's so hard to even name any of these episodes because I don't know, what would you name this? Um, but maybe, maybe you guys like it. Maybe you don't know what I'm going to say. And I just want to have you guys on the show and tell me where I'm right, wrong. And you're just going to hear experts all the time. The world's best experts. I know a lot of them. There's so many I don't know. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So, all right. So let me just jump around. So, you know, the, I just, Let's see here. So a great story, super fun one, is about Antarctica and Operation High Jump, which took place in 1947 under Truman and James Forrestal. Admiral Byrd from a very important family, um, bloodlines to Pocahontas, George Washington, I believe, Jefferson, two other presidents, obviously the Bird family, BYRD, you know, who knows? Is he an alien? I mean, just how can you have a bloodline like that? Rich Virginia family. The point is, is that he was, he was, um, he was appointed or given the title of rear admiral or admiral, I believe. And he, this was the first mission that he commanded after going down to Antarctica a few times, starting in the, uh, uh, late 20s or 30s. Um, so he commands this mission going down under the guise of scientific research. And this is the biggest fleet and, and task force, biggest task force that was assembled after World War II, a very diminished um, fleet. Uh, um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. A, the biggest fleet since World War II. And so they go down there 
and uh, they have some type of an encounter. Now, the thinking is, is that they were looking for the Germans, that the Germans had a base down there called New Schwabenland. New Schwabenland. You're not allowed to say that phrase, per my understanding, in Germany now, or I'm sorry, have it written down under penalty of like extreme penalty. Um, New Schwabenland was Germany's, you know, theoretically, that was going to be where the Fourth, Fourth Reich would continue or, um, you know, just launch subs from there, whatever. The point is, is that they claimed it. They asked Richard Byrd, you know, in the 20s or 30s to lead their German expedition down there. See, the Germans and the English are just very linked. They always have been. And uh, we'll certainly get into that at some point. Um, maybe right now, who knows? But um, so they get into some type of confrontation down there and they limp back after eight weeks to uh, uh, Valparaiso, Chile, um, an ally at the time or now. And, you know, it was uh, the research mission was cut in. Uh, you know, it was a fifth of what it should have been or whatever. So what happened down there? Now, you got to be very careful because supposedly there's a Richard Bird diary and supposedly that's fake, talking about the inner earth and all that. So it's like to investigate these things, you cannot just go on Wikipedia. You certainly can't just go on the internet and look at the top five articles. I mean, this is years of research. Um, but that's the story was that the Germans were building crafts down there and flying crafts, you know, UFO type crafts down there. And, uh, you know, Admiral Byrd said when he got to Valparaiso, Chile, that these crafts, you know, which he didn't identify, did not identify as German, could fly pole to pole in a matter of seconds. Uh, that was the big evidence for what the hell happened down there. How did you lose, you know? They say just a few deaths, the thinking is a, a lot more deaths. And how did you limp back to the port with broken battleship and, you know, airplanes down and, you know, just what the hell happened? So the other thinking is that it was an actual UFO exchange down there. Um, it's not crazy to say that's possible. It's a lot of evidence that says that could have happened, that that did happen, that that was much more likely than the German interaction because the Russians and the Chinese and no other countries had the desire ability to be working on crafts down there. So it was either German or UFO. And so, you know, they're very mysterious. Antarctica, it's, you can't fly over the South Pole. You can't do it. It's a no-fly zone. You also can't fly, I believe, over the North Pole all sorts of theories on big hole, a big hole up there that looks into the center of the earth that you just can't, you're not allowed to fly. It's just look into it. Um, it's, it's, it's something like 99.9% .9 of the world has never been to Antarctica. Obviously that sounds about right. Um, but almost all of Antarctica has not been explored. Um, the thinking is, is that there was a pole shift and that that used to be green with uh, tundras, brown, lakes, oases, green, blue, hills. 
Um, but then the pole shift happened, and then it turns to ice. Uh, what is it, Carl Sagan, Charles Hapgood, some others on that topic, but um, those are just the early works. So you find the early works, you then find the more recent works, you then reference the older works, maybe they find out new evidence. But again, finding this stuff on your bookshelf, you're not going to see it. you got to know to look for it on Amazon or, or whatever. Um, the way I was able to amass such a book collection was because the used book market, buying books for a penny plus $3.99 shipping, um, I would have never been able to do this if it wasn't for the used books. Um, but the Antarctica, basically it's understood that bird went down there and that there is a, an oasis there still right now that is uh, brown, brown mountain, brown hills, green, blue, green, blue water. Uh, there are these underground places. You can go right into them. And there, you know, it's where the Germans would have likely been, very possibly leads to more inner earth type things. I have 25 books on inner earth. Um, but it's something that people believe and it's something that people have spent their lifetimes researching is could, you know, these UFOs seem to pop out of the water. They seem to pop in the water. They seem to be glowing balls. They seem to be Delta, you know, triangles, yada, yada, yada. A lot of talk on UFOs now. I'm not doing that right this second, but, um, you know, do they pop into Mount Shasta? Sightings all over the place. Now, whether it's a, a, a light, whether it's a, a craft, we'll dig into that another time. But um, Bird has this interaction down there, loses people. Um, the Schumacher... Lake Oasis is where he supposedly went. He basically took an airplane and was gone for several hours and that he should not have been able to come back on the amount of fuel that he had. So there's like these several hours of missing from the logbook on Operation High Jump, um, the Antarctica, his ship uh, being Mount Olympus. It's just logbooks gone or whatever. It's not in the logbook that Admiral Byrd was gone for these several hours that he was flying, trying to find the Schumacher Lake Oasis. And so you also have some pyramids potentially down there, pyramids all around the world. Uh, Sam Osmanagic, the Bosnian uh, head of the pyramids last year, he was the Bosnian man of the year. You look on the internet, he's a fraud, liar, perpetrator of you know, a great hoax that there's no pyramids in Bosnia. Well, the people that I know that have been there, including, you know, I don't know uh, Djokovic, the tennis guy, but people I know that have been there say, when you're in those pyramids in Bosnia, they're real. And I feel better after going there. And it's this constant 70 degrees throughout all the caves inside and radiocarbon dating, which obviously you can't always believe, but you're talking 25,000 BC. That fits perfectly in these timelines. Any 20,000 BC, 30,000, that's all like just right in the bread and butter of when things were thriving. Then it seems like 10,000 BC, you had this impact, the end of the last ice age, the younger Dryas impacts theory. Could that have been a solar flare? Could it have been the volcanoes erupted all over the place? Whatever. So 
That's a fun little story about Admiral Byrd going down to Antarctica. We don't know what's down there. It's been very explored so little. It's it. They don't want us exploring down there. It's crystal clear. You can go down there. Brad Olson went down there, uh, went to all the cities, talked to the people. You know, nobody knew about this type of stuff. Um, obviously, those are the people that you would put in the positions. Maybe they don't know. It's so easy when you don't know something, you don't know it. And you think that when somebody comes in and talks like I'm talking, that that person is just batshit crazy. I get it. I mean, I, I see crazy people walking around the streets and they're talking to themselves and they're, I hear the words and they're making no sense. Like, I get it. Like crazy to a normie, to a normal person is scary. It's crazy. That person's crazy. Guys talking about UFOs down in Antarctica and this admiral with bloodlines all over to presidents and Pocahontas. That is a crazy because they learn in school. You know, most people learn in school that things are normal, that this is normal, the normalcy bias. And once I started digging into conspiracies about 25 years ago, um, you know, it was interesting to me. And then uh, it seems like there was some stuff there. And so you follow down these rabbit holes and the stuff seems right. But to convince my normie friends, I, it's easier just to not bring it up. It's easier for me to just not say I have a podcast. I mean, seriously, like would I want to try to defend my position on any of this? I mean, only if it was on air with you guys trying to get to the truth. It's exhausting trying to convince a normie that what I have to say is accurate. It's um, you're just not going to do it. Now, maybe, maybe I can, maybe this show will, you got to keep listening, but you know, um, I'm also okay if you turn it off. So let me just take a breath. Just give me one minute, okay? That was a few minutes, but nobody would know. Uh, okay, so, so yeah, so, um, I mean, that's kind of, you know, some fun, just starter topics. I mean, these things we're gonna get into in a lot of detail. I have so many stories. You just wouldn't believe it. Um, you, it, it'll be so much fun trying to figure this all out. Um, I take this very seriously. I'm also very funny. Uh, if I say a joke, it doesn't mean I'm a racist. I absolutely have love in my heart and in my soul and in my whole being for every single person on planet earth, every animal, every insect, rock. I mean, as above, so below, we're all connected. Um, you know, I, um, I really do. And I'm trying to get, you know, I'm, I'm I'm working on, you know, saying hi to everybody that you walk by the street, you know, um, that is hard because sometimes a crazy person could cling to you with that type of approach, but I have noticed magic 
uh, saying hi to people in the street. Um, it changes people's day. So it's just been wonderful. I, I just see me walking down the street. Let me know if I do it to you. Um, but very upsetting how, you know, if you present these different point of views um, and all you're doing is, you know, you spend two years researching something and you do an article and then all of a sudden a platform says you can't share that article with the world and all of a sudden they remove your podcast because, you know, you're a racist. Um, I mean, I don't know, like, is Alex Jones a racist? I don't know. Um, does he deserve to be listened to by, by, by anybody that wants to listen to him, in my opinion? And if you don't want to listen to him, then no problem. Now, it gets into a tricky situation with the coronavirus situation. And this is a really scary, scary situation. And so when this first happened and it was two weeks to follow, you know, to, to get rid of the curve and I was wearing a mask, I was using sanitizer, I was groceries that were brought home were being sanitized. And I mean, I did, I did it all. And I asked my people, I said, boy, I'm just shocked um, that I never thought that this type of thing was coming. Um, and my friends are basically like, um, we knew this was going to come like, you know, these things happen or they come or whatever, whatever. So then all of a sudden you have all this information and misinformation. And then who decides what is right and what is wrong? And could that, could misinformation lead to a death or deaths? Of course, like I understand all that, but it, it goes to the, is it up to the person to decide you know, what they want to do, or do they, are they, should they be mandated by the government and told what to do? And so most people, if that's 70% or whatever, you know, they trust the government. They think that their local representative and state representative and president has their best interest. And pretty sure we all know that they don't give a shit about us, um, that they only care about themselves and getting elected uh, and the power and money and control that, who knows, if I was a politician, I, I imagine that I would be a super caring, incredible politician, but I'm realistic to say, well, maybe I wouldn't be. Somebody gives me $100 million or, or $10 million, a million dollars, and says, if you could just, you know, not vote on that one, or if you could just, you know... <laughs> not give money to that pig farmer because, you know, we want to close him down. Um, I don't know what I would do. I just, I can't, all, all, all you guys that are so righteous that say, I would never do that. Awesome. That's great. But, you know, who knows when you're presented with 20 years of salary uh, in one moment. Uh, okay. I'm glad you're so sure on uh <laughs> on your ethics. Um, I think I'd be great, but you know, who knows? So um, let's see. So just, uh, so getting back to this, very scary. This is very scary. So they start mandating, they start issuing the vaccine. And, you know, I thought that old people that compromise that 
you know, I thought that should, uh, I thought they should all take it. Um, what I was told was that, you know, I was just told this recently, but um, the old vaccines, 17.7 uh, years to create, if they went down to 17 years, that was like a miracle. You know, this one was created uh, in seven months or whatever. Um, you know, now they're going to blame Trump for how Operation Warp Speed, how quickly it came out. And I do understand, uh, I understand both sides, uh, but I understand how you could blame uh, wanting to accelerate and rush that. And so you have greed, incompetence, and just, you know, manipulation of the masses at play. And that's the main focus that's the scary one is that it doesn't seem that it was the pandemic or scandemic that a lot of people call it, but it doesn't seem that it was the, the virus. It was, they wanted the vaccine to be distributed to people. That's what they wanted. But that was what was wanted by the forces that control this world. And I know a lot of people that swear by that. Um, the way that even today, um, over a thousand colleges in the United States are requiring the vaccine and I assume the boosters and stuff, even though you know the CDC two weeks ago came out and said there's no difference between vaccinated and unvaccinated. Um, you know, Djokovic can come into the, he can't play tennis, but the illegal, if, I mean, can I not say the word illegals? The, um, whatever, the, the people from the Southern border coming up, you know, they don't have to be vaccinated. They can just come right in. 5 million of them new in the last few years. Um, you obviously can't have a country if just people are fl flooding in. I mean, who would argue with that? Israel certainly wouldn't. Um, the Vatican certainly wouldn't. Um, so uh, they mandate the vaccine and you can't work unless you get it. You can't go to school. And so what do people do? They get it. They get it because they have to, because they think it's the right thing to do because the problem is the scientists that I know, they're all banging their heads and saying, why did they recommend this vaccine to their parents, to their old friends, to their kid, whatever, when the science is crystal clear? The scientists that I know say, this is not science. This is, it's, the, it's not science. What they've done is not science. And so the normal person would say, of course, it's science. You think the CDC would lie to us? You think that the president would lie to us? It's very scary stuff. Um, and so the lawsuits now are just starting to come out. They're all siding with the plaintiffs, all of or the yeah, the plaintiffs, they're all siding with the plaintiffs. The UK is just starting to distribute money for vaccine-related injuries. The United States, all the lawsuits seem to say, you cannot mandate this. Um, 
that's kind of just all I wanted to say about it right this second. Um, it's hard for me to even talk about that. Um, but uh, we'll just start with that. And I feel like we'll kind of call it a day for right this second. Um, you will love the next one I do. And then we'll get back to our regular thing with Rick and with guests and all that. But hopefully this was fun. Um, so much more to talk about, I promise. You will not be let down by this. Just help me and let's get to the bottom of all this. Thanks.